0: folks. The Buckeyes went into Happy Valley. They, they made it Happy Valley, made me live up to its name, and finally, by the end of the fourth quarter, they turned it back into Sad Valley, which the Buckeyes like to do every time they head out to play those Pitt State Nittany Lions. I'm joined today, as now, as I am always, by my co-host, Adam Vonderhaar in the middle of harvest out there in beautiful God's Country, Israel Township, southwestern Ohio. Adam, give us a little crop report. Crop report. Uh, most everybody in the county's done except for us, uh, usually how it goes. Uh, conditions are good. Nice dry weather. Had a little bit of rain uh, a couple days ago, which was just kind of nice for some rainy day projects to get caught up on running some corn that's about 20% moisture right now, means we got the dryer going. But uh, the big thing is Ohio State beat a team that's not their rival over the weekend. And uh, for that, I couldn't be happier. We beat the bad guys, Adam. And at no point during the game on Saturday were you nervous, right? Well, (laughs) to say that would be... To, to tell a lie, Ryan, and I am not a liar. I, I was on the point of cardiac arrest going into the fourth quarter. I thought, well... Mm-hmm. And uh, folks, keep in mind, as one of Ohio's grain farmers, we, we listen to these games on the radio, and there's nothing like listening to Paul Keels tell you about a uh, screen pass for no gain and... Penn State having some ability to move the ball down the field. Um, it's just, it's somehow more painful listening to it than it is watching it with your own eyes. And uh, But hey. It's a great point, Adam. And we're going to get to exactly what changed, you know, uh, from a little bit of the drowning on of what the first three quarters were of that game and some maybe what we would call questionable play call. Um, Adam was was great enough to tweet out from the account just a miss. Uh, Miss some missed timetables last week kept us from recording our Penn State episode because I traveled down to the great state of Georgia to do a little bit of hiking outside. And uh, our our little timeline got thrown off to get the episode out in time. Some people were clamoring to say, man, if the Buckeyes lose this game, is it because the Silver Bullet Saga did not get an episode out that week? And to which we don't have to answer because they ended up pulling it out. Um, On the backs of a few young Buckeyes, uh, one young Buckeye uh, that we've mentioned on the podcast before uh, had a pretty great finish to the fourth quarter on Saturday that was a six second clip that my twin brother uh, texted into our little sports group chat um, as I was hiking down Blood Mountain there in North Georgia just kind of listening to the end of the game on the radio Um, Adam uh, there's plenty of guys to talk about. There's one great defenseman uh, performance, maybe the best Ohio state defensive performance in program history that we will bury the lead uh, to first talk about our guy, the official tight end, the official Ohio state player of this podcast and perhaps of the agricultural community in general, Kate Stover, man, Ad, Ad, just talk to us about in the moment you went back afterwards and were able to watch the play, but Adam, what was going through your mind right before you hit record on that great video? Right. I'll tell you what, I, I just mentioned how painful it is when things aren't going well and listening to Paul Keels tell you how poorly it's going. The flip side of that is there's nothing better than a than a huge Buckeye play with Paul Keels on the call. Nothing like and, it. And that one specifically, a guy that we have talked about for multiple years now. And uh, no coincidence, it's the same week AgPro h- hooks his family up with an S670. He has a great touchdown reception where he catches it around the 20 breaks three tackles i mean the the bull in the china shop the bull in happy valley uh for six the radio call i I was forced to immediately pull my phone out and take that video and send it to everyone i knew because uh i've got a man crush on this guy ryan i mean what more could we ask for in a tight end at ohio state he's he's a folk hero as you might call it here in the agricultural industry um you know, he, he's going around doing tours. I can report on campus in the College of Ag. I mean, he's, he is the celebrity guest speaker at n- a number of different student organizations on campus, which is a crazy thing to see, obviously. You know, we've had Buckeyes come through the college before, but nobody has had quite the impact that this guy has uh, since starting his first year at tight end, uh, or, uh, you know, this year after making the full-time switch from defense. Cade Stover finished the day on Saturday with six receptions for 78 yards. But Adam, the number one stat, the only receiving touchdown on the day goes to Cade Stover. And really, if you go back and watch the 28 point fourth quarter that Ohio State had, the touchdown that Cade has to kind of start that huge scoring drive uh, was the beginning of the momentum that would eventually kind of tsunami over Penn State and kind of their upset bid. Um, I mean, the Adam Adam just mentioned it. Not only does K he catches it wide open right in the middle of the field, but there are three Penn State defenders blocking him from the end zone, and he goes right at each of them and kind of knocks him <laughs> knocks each of them down. You know, it, he's that combination of size and speed that man. If he gets going in space, you really got to kind of die for his legs if you're going to take him out. There's there, most of those guys in the secondary aren't going to be able to just wrestle him down, and that was an example of it. Uh, Just powering through and kind of outwilling your opponent in order to score a touchdown. And it'll go down as one of those historic, you know, touchdown catches. And one of our Adam, We, we always joke about non rivalry games, but whatever the smidge is of Penn State, you know, they're just below a rival. They want us to be, you know, rivals with them, obviously. Um, but j- just an unbelievable performance from him on a short list of Buckeyes that had wild performances on Saturday. Um, I think we have to, we can't go any further without talking about this guy, JT Tui Maloow. Um, it's kind of hard to put words to this guy's performance, Adam. Uh, if you had to put a few words to it, how would you describe it? Um, I think it's not unfair to say he just earned himself in the pantheon of of fame of defensive ends at Ohio State. That game, just a standalone performance by a defensive end. If you go back to Chase Young in 19 against Wisconsin, I believe, with a somewhat similar stat line, you go before that, guys, I can think of moments that the Bosa brothers had, individual moments, but not full game takeover performances um Start to you finish. know joey Bosa, namely everybody goes back to penn state and 14 that's it's the type of thing legends are made of you end the game in double overtime with a sack using one of their own players to do it but uh in regulation um, chase young had a great game against wisconsin to me this was by far more of a dominant performance especially when you top it off with just picking a ball you know out of the air for a touchdown a pick six um well you you start the game right and, and and the vibes are interesting you know to begin that game the defense is playing well they get two takeaways on the first two drives that Penn State has and JTT you know not only is he unbelievable in the fourth fourth quarter but that second turnover that interception that Zach Harrison comes down with is only possible because of the pass block that JTT puts back in, into the end of the play and I we got to stop calling him JTT he's asked us to stop his name is you can say JT or Tui Maloau. and you can choose between those two, whatever you'd like to say, but, man, he's earned it at this point. He finishes the day with two full sacks attributed to himself, one pass deflection that turned into an interception, and then, as Adam mentioned, to seal the game. I mean, to put it absolutely out of reach, a complete... It it should have just been a pass deflected, but he makes the crazy athletic play to grab a full speed pass about six feet in front of the quarterback. He jumps up in the air, gets both hands on it and brings it back in for a pick six And what is one of the wilder defensive plays you will ever see from an individual effort. Um, Adam's right. I mean, you can say Joey Bosa, you can say Nick, you can say Chase Young. I don't think any of those guys had one game that was like this. It, it was kind of spectacular to see. Um, the quote came out. It was, it's, I think it's a year-old quote. Somebody asked him about what his goals are. His goal is to be the first Polynesian player to ever be drafted into the NFL, number one overall. And if he has, what, one more game with a stat line like this and a performance like this, he instantly gets into that conversation this season. I agree, Ryan. Got to be against like talent. Probably gonna have to be at the end of November or uh, after that. But he's definitely playing his way up the draft board. Just a game like that can so much potential in the kid. And we've seen it. We've we've talked about it for years between him and Jack Sawyer, some really good defensive end recruits and Zach Harrison before them. Just it seemed like they all got kind of lost in a bad scheme last year. And it's really nice to uh, uh, you know see that they're finally. Uh, you know, being prosperous. Jack Sawyer, we're still waiting for that moment. I think JTT's proving himself. It's good to have this kind of competition. Who's the better defensive end? And and, uh, right now it's JT. For sure. And it's like, oh, man, where's Jack? Like, it's not like he's had a bad season. He's had a great season already so far. He's being super disruptive on the line. Folks, we get both of these guys back next year that that's an absolutely insane thing to think about just as as you think of these guys developing and kind of taking those steps on the defensive line they they're making a huge impact and we don't we don't win that game in Happy Valley without the effort of the defensive line they they really crushed it covered up for some issues that happened in the secondary um, we'll get into it i mean i guess we can now play calling Few things come into question on Saturday, right? CJ, I don't know. It, it felt like one out of every four plays was a screen pass into the flat that gets tackled for a loss, um, and, and the guys are already behind the chains. You know, when when that's happening, and it's like you're having crazy success even on the first drive, just throwing the ball down the field, and through the rest of the game, we keep trying to make this th- these screen passes work that never end up working. And obviously, it's easy to say it in hindsight, you know. Um, Maybe we shouldn't have been doing that as much. And Ryan Day would say he's trying to stretch the field out by using those screen passes so that the defense has to play a little wider. But, man, it seemed like really two other guys that we have to mention from Saturday's performance, C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison, if those guys don't kind of shift the way things are going and and what what was said in the postgame, call a few real audibles in the in the second half um, to put Marvin in, in motion and try and get – put him on some slant routes to get the ball out quickly. Um, I think the outcome of the game is different. That's how big of an impact that those two guys had. Marvin Harrison finished the day with some pretty spectacular statistics. Um, uh, Yeah, 10 catches, 10 for 12 uh, catches for 185 yards, most for a Buckeye receiver playing against Penn State ever. Um, An average of 18 and a half yards per carry. We said it a few weeks ago when he had his last three-touchdown game. Uh, Marvin Harrison has put himself in the conversation for the greatest Ohio State receiver to ever come through these halls. Um, you know, what else can you say? He's been incredible, Ryan. With Jason opening the door for him to step up, he really has. I think when Jason's finally healthy, it'll be an argument still who who the better receiver is. Now, Jason at the top of his game, unguardable, you know, not much you can do. We're saying the same stuff about Marvin right now. And uh, Penn State had a pretty good pass defense that Marvin completely said, uh, I don't care. Uh, you throw me the ball, I'm going to catch it. Um, I'm not sure what he was. That was th- the thing that was most impressive, I think, Adam, yeah. wasn't it? Like the corners, it wasn't like he was like w- crazy, crazy open. They were playing pretty good coverage. It's just if the ball hits Marvin's hands, yep. it's a catch. And the, uh, like, he's to that say sure. that and to say CJ had a really strong game. You know, it, there wasn't a lot yeah. way off target. Yeah. Uh, this, is a really, this might be the best pass defense Ohio State's going to see maybe until the playoffs. Michigan doesn't have anything like this as far as corners. The argument could be made they're close, but Penn State has better corners than Michigan. So to be able to do that, kind of establish your, you know, s- set your will in the pass game is surprising. It's not how I saw this game going. I thought we were going to have to commit to the run, but uh, it shows this is a very powerful passing offense if Ryan Day will let it be that. And uh, kind of felt like we were hitting ourselves up against a brick wall in the run game a lot of that came from not really disguising run packages which is something people have argued last season the same thing should we be a little bit more um creative uh in backfield formations where i believe this this i just listened to a podcast about this whatever formation we were doing we were handing off the pistol i think is what it was it was always a run there was no you know quarterback option it was always a handoff so that could play into it but it did seem in the second half we were getting a lot more push on the offensive line these guys are starting to work together better but you know the mayan williams injury in the first half was hard and i think he is our running back number one when it comes to trying to break a defense down trevion's got a lot of flash to him but he's he goes down a little too easy for me He know a couple bumps and he's on the ground but uh I'd say that was the one negative right from Saturday was seeing Mayan kind of hobble off on the side. He gets nicked up there on the second drive, I think, on offense for the Buckeyes. Um, You know, falls into the field marker at the end of the field and kind of catches himself awkwardly uh, there with, I believe, with his right hand, if I'm picturing it correctly, falling onto his back. A lot of folks were worried. Maybe he snapped a few fingers. He did uh, tweet out after the game, all good with one of those hearts. Uh, Definitely, you know, it's hard in college football to know injury report wise if a guy's healthy or not, but I would take that as no broken bones, uh, which is kind of what we're looking for out of Mayan. So tough to see him leave early in the game. Definitely, it felt like shifted uh, the momentum in the run game, not having that, you know, absolute cannonball back there to knock a few guys down. And you're right, Travion Henderson, he has that breakaway speed. We saw it on his uh, long 41-yard touchdown run uh, there towards the end of the game, but if you got a guy that can bruise the defense up and knock a few guys down, man, Mayan Williams is a championship-caliber running back, and we need him to be healthy if he's going to carry us through the playoffs at the end of the season. It sounds like we're going to have him, so thank goodness for that. Um, Adam, uh, other than just saying how crazy it was to score 28 points as a team in the fourth quarter, anything, any other takeaways kind of for Penn State? I mean, the one thing that needs not being said. I mean, you and I both understand this. You've experienced it in person, they have a great home atmosphere. They do. I mean, we, we can... Just, they absolutely yeah. do. Um, me, Abram, Stanley, and Jace went in 2018 to the game. Uh, Dwayne Haskins had that last minute. I mean, to be a Penn State fan would be just crazy with the games they've lost to Ohio State, how many have been in the final seconds of the game. Huge leads. You don't see this in college sports where a team will be up so much and still blow it consistently against us uh, or any team. No. Anybody who wants to check that, I mean, it doesn't happen like this, where you blew it, a boy. team consistently gets a big lead and blows it. This is three times now, just absolutely in heartbreaking fashion for them and legend status fashion for Ohio State. Um, but that environment's incredibly loud. I've been to a ton of games at Ohio Stadium. Penn State is the only stadium I've ever been in where I legit needed to cover my ears is how loud it gets. And I think it goes down to the architecture of the building. There's a lot of room for echoing versus the concrete at Ohio State absorbs a lot of sound. Um, you know, I'm not an architect, but I think that has something to do with it. A lot, of, Just a lot of space for the sound to reverb. And they also pump in uh, their band noise and crowd noise, which is interesting. But other than that, it's, it's a tough place to win. We got the win. We're moving on. Time to really start prepping for Michigan. And how do we do that? A good sword needs a stone to be sharpened against. And it looks like we got Northwestern for that. Maybe a couple of stones maybe in these next three weeks, but the first one and potentially the dullest, a team that has not had a victory in the domestic uh, United States in the year of 2022, Uh, Northwestern one and seven uh, entering this week uh, of of college football. The one win, you may remember, I I say that tongue in cheek, in Ireland against Nebraska to start the year. It sets Nebraska on this crazy kind of, Teetering uh, problem that they've had all season. Northwestern scrapes together a win uh, against them internationally, but since then, 0-6, uh, coming back to the states. Adam, I, I looked at and 7 Excuse me. Um, I looked at their their schedule. They have a loss to a team right down the road from you. Were you familiar with that or not? Uh, loss to would that be Indiana? Is what you're referencing? Uh, Miami University. Oh my gosh! Of Ohio. I just I just clicked the page and saw that. That is incredible. Folks, I'm just seeing this for the first time. (laughs) Not often are we surprised on the podcast. I pulled that up just before, and I I, I like to look through kind of the last five, last six opponents when we we get into a week. And I see that there at the bottom. Our our love and honor, obviously, Adam and I have been to a lot of Miami sporting events uh, together growing up, a lot of hockey games definitely together. But for them to have (laughs) – a home loss, a home 17-14 to 14 loss against the the jewel of the Mac in the Miami University Red Hawks. Uh, definitely a tough look uh, for the Northwestern Wildcats. Adam, not a ton to say going into this game. I don't think that there's a, there's really any Northwestern players to know. They are as bad as they've been um, in the foreseeable or the recent history, probably the last 10 years. This is one of the worst Northwestern teams that they've had. Um not averaging, you know, very many points a game. Uh, I believe there's, yeah, they're averaging about 17 points a game, uh, you know, giving up about 28. So if you're if you're giving up on average 10 points more than you're scoring, you're not going to have a great record at the end of the year. Um, I guess, Adam, we're, we're, no longer are we measuring against the terrible teams in the Big Ten, you know. This this is a game where we, like, what are we looking for? Well, we need we need CJ to be done at halftime. Like, at the bare minimum, he needs to be... Uh, parking it in the garage, hopefully with five touchdowns, you know, somewhere around 80% completion rate. And then in the second half, ideally, right, we get a chance to see Kyle McCord. Now, th- those are high hopes uh, for Buckeye fans, but that's kind of where we're at, you know, a- at this point in the season. Um, we've seen what is happening with that team up north and the kind of squad that they're putting together for the game at the end of the month. But, Adam, what are, what, what do you need to see to kind of be happy on no, Saturday? Um, after I 3:30. think you said it. The, the big thing is we've got a big enough lead that it's all backups by halftime. If that doesn't happen, hopefully it's it's just a case of some weird fumbles or something to cause uh, the starters to be playing in the second half. But, uh, you know, I look at the schedule. I see Penn State, you know, only beat them by 10 at the beginning of October. Just kind of shows the squirreliness of the Big Ten. Sometimes uh, weird losses happen. Um, not that we're... Uh, overlooking northwestern i don't think there's much to overlook um this would be the worst um, upset in ohio state history probably were we to squander this i think it would be i, I think it would um, be looking at, looking at their team not to speak in hyperbole this is a terrible northwestern yeah. team like we like to we like to overlook you know nebraska sometimes we like to overlook penn state when they're having terrible years this Northwestern team is very, very So with bad. that said, you know, we've had questions on the run game, and it's certainly not going to answer those questions against Northwestern, but I'd like to see a dominant rushing performance, um, even on plays where, you know, we're not breaking tendency. They know we're going to run it. We know we're going to run it, and we're still able to do it. That's the kind of thing I want to see against Northwestern. Um they're giving up, a, on average, 186 rushing yeah. yards a game. So if, if Ohio State can't eclipse 100 yards, uh, we're going to be asking some Definitely. real questions a day after, Definitely. after Saturday. Definitely. Yep. And um, no, that's, that's, I don't really have many concerns. I just want to see a good rushing performance and no injuries from Ohio State. A healthy. very healthy yep. game. That, that's the and the other thing, thing we've right? got going yep. for us college football fans, there's some really good games this weekend that aren't this game. This might uh, be yeah. Awesome this games. might be weekend of the season, other than rivalry week. This there's some really fun stuff as we look ahead, but uh, that's all I got. And Adam, I, I think yeah, I think that's a great transition. Uh, you know, we'll take it into the gambling corner. Adam, welcome to your gambling corner. Uh, where where do you kind of want to start? Well, here? we as we look down our run sheet, we've got four interesting games. The first one, probably the most lackluster of the group, but. You know, for our, our dear friends, Malik and Clay, it is always, always funny to reference Michigan State. And uh, they, they had a tough. Hey, hang on. Hang on. Hey, yeah. Should we just give the time to this segment? The tunnel yeah. up at uh, up at in Ann Arbor. OK, we've had not this conversation on the podcast, but us as Ohio State fans, Big Ten fans in general. We know there's an issue in the big house, right? There's one tunnel. Both teams come out of the same tunnel. They both leave out of the same tunnel. The locker rooms are only a few hallways apart. Last week, um, I chuckled at it, you know, after the Penn State-Michigan game. Franklin James Franklin gives this quote of, like, you know, we don't know. What are they doing up here? Like, at the very least, can you time our exits so that we're not entering and exiting the locker rooms at the same time? Jim Harbaugh gives this, gives this just, you know, S-H-I-T eating grin, you know, response of, like, Well, listen, I I, I have no time to worry about locker rooms and times and, you know, uh, keeping players apart. He needs to control his own team, kind of just gets past it like they like to do. Take no blame, you know, for any of the wrongdoings uh, that they have up there, even though they're one of the worst programs that have ever walked the face of the earth. But, you know, the blue and gold, they have this kind of tunnel system set up up there. There's been problems every single year. There's never been a year that that, that at least a little clamoring, a little yelling hasn't happened, you know, with some, some teams in some game. And last Saturday, finally, it bubbles up to the edge. Um, Michigan is still trying to score with, like, three minutes left on the clock. They're up 20 points. Harbaugh's calling trick plays to get the ball down the field. I guess maybe they're not trying to score because they do, they do kneel it out when they get within in the red zone um, at the end of the game. But definitely, like, pushing it to the edge. Like, we're playing. We're going to keep taking yards, which I, I don't have a huge problem with. You know, it's a rivalry game. I, Adam and I remember well. Back in 2018, we wanted so badly for Urban to score that last touchdown to finish the game 69 to 38 um, against against those bad boys up to the north. So no, no problem there. The the problem comes with your players, right? The game ends. You've got Michigan State. Not only are they sad because they lost, they're fired up because they've been getting hammered into the ground through those last few minutes. Uh, you know, there's no let up at all from the side of the blue and gold, and Kind of a quick, abbreviated handshake. You know, no words spoken uh, between Harbaugh and Tucker to get off the field. And Michigan State's kind of making their way out of the tunnel first. And no revisionist history, no and but, you know, on this. You know, I'm not trying to victim blame, as all the Michigan fans on Twitter would like to call everybody out for. But you see this this number one, this guy in this number one jersey in blue and gold, and he is legitimately skipping in the video. He's skipping it's so obviously obvious to tell if you watch it that he is trying to upset these players. Like he's rubbing the loss, you know, in their faces, trying to beat them into the locker room. All the Michigan, the excuse I've seen is he's trying to get to the trainer, you know, before the team goes into the locker room. It's, uh, it's so it's so virtue signaling. It's so disgusting on both sides. So he makes it into the locker room, and obviously folks are upset. And what transpires is really sad. It's It's sad for the sport. It's bad for college football. It's not a good thing. You know, there's a difference between taking it to the limit and crossing the line. And this definitely crosses the line. Terrible video comes out of Michigan State players assaulting a Michigan player with a helmet. Um, you know, all this, that, and the other. Really sad scene. Four Michigan State players have been suspended at this point. Law enforcement's involved. Um, but Adam, to 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 bring it back to the gambling corner, the reason that this is on the list. Mel Tucker has a huge game this week. They're playing Illinois. They're going to Illinois. But more than a win or loss, it's does this team still play for Mel? You know, did do they still believe in the message that they've been sold? Are they still, you know, is the program still together? You can be a bad team and still be playing hard. Adam, any other comments on kind of that situation last night? I think that's well. It's it's a terrible incident um, for for the for the uh, I'm holier than thou. Um, Justin Fields beat us because he doesn't go to college crowd um, you know the, these people to say that uh, the tunnel's not a problem and the skipping's not a problem just shows no no ownership of, or any responsibility um, That being said Michigan it, this isn't a better rivalry than Ohio State Michigan but this is certainly one of the it's, it's good. good it's one of the more insane. When you look at, uh, yeah, ballistic. very volatile, yeah. very ballistic. You've got that Michigan State player, or was it Michigan's? One of them, you know, it was a Michigan player, cleating the Spartan logo yeah. at Michigan State a few years back. It's stuff like that all the time. Very Bush League, very amateur, uh, just things thrown back and forth. It's it's uh, very classless, classless but... All that to say, this is a uh, program-defining game for Mel, and part of me... Now, okay, let's just get into the corner before we keep just juicing this game up. It's a a 17-and-a-half-point line that Illinois is giving to Michigan State at home, and um, for the people that like movies, this is a... If you want to take Michigan State, this is a fun line to rally behind. Do these players... Yeah. get completely um, carbonized and just forged with their coach. And they say, hey, we're going to do this for our guy. He stood with us. I don't know the in- intricacies of the investigation. Did he say, guys, it's unacceptable? Guys, I know we all got hot, but, I, you know, I, I've got your back. I, I don't know what he did. But there's a chance this this strengthened their team. And, uh, and if that's not the case, Illinois is going to kill this team. So <laughs> I'm... I'm. I think uh, on the case of Illinois, I think they're a well-coached team under Brett. I think it's an interesting thing to cheer for. Um, not not that I like Mr. Billama. I'm I'll definitely watching this game. Oh, 100%. I like the juice. Yeah, but um, I, I think it'll just be organization and practice and play calling will win out in this game. And I think Illinois is going to throttle Michigan State. A mix. All. I mean, imagine Michigan State's practices this week. What does that even look like? I'm going to take Illinois and I'm going to lay the points. What about you, Ryan? This is a respect game for Michigan State, and I've got my two good boys, Malik and and Clay, Michigan State fans. Seventeen points is a lot for an Illinois program that kind of relies on its defense. Um, I'm going to sounds take sounds good. Points. Makes it interesting. And and uh, hey, ever this is also a the whole media is saying that Mel's a terrible coach and that this was a bad decision. This is also a Mel Tucker game for me. I think that the the needle has flipped way too far to the other side. I think he's a good coach, and his players like to play for him. 17 um, is sure. just too much. I think that's totally understandable. It'll be a fun game to watch either way. All right. So yeah. next we've got number one in the country, decided by the playoff committee in this uh, week. Uh, what, are, what are we? This is a heck of a here? game. Anyway, uh, yeah. taking on the number three team in the country via playoff committee uh, at Georgia. And they are eight-point dogs as the number one team in the country. It's an interesting thing to look at uh, for the committee to say this is by far the best team in the country and for them to be uh, eight-point dogs. Vegas knows yeah. the truth. Maybe Vegas should should uh, set the playoff uh, rankings. But anyway, so... I think we're both probably going to be on the same side on this. Well... <laughs> f- what I, do you think? Okay, I, I, go this ahead. This is hands on the table. I have not watched a ton of Georgia. I have more just... I've more just uh, seen the headlines. I think Tennessee's got a really powerful offense. I know their defense is terrible, but they're riding a high. Well, gosh, as I say it, I'm thinking, that eh, Georgia. Georgia's defense. What this team hasn't come across a good defense is the is the really interesting thing apart about, about this game. Um, I'm going with Cousin Nate on this. I've completely flipped. I'm going to be taking Georgia. And I'll be laying the points. I know eight points is a lot, but if they if they can't get it done against a good defense, Georgia's going to have their way with this team. So, what about you? We're going to be opposite. It feels like every game this week. I I I think Georgia wins the game. I need to say that. Ten, eight points is too much. We've seen Tennessee can score the score yeah. a lot. Hendon Hooker is the current Heisman favorite. Also has a Heisman finalist and a Belitnikov finalist, and his one receiver, the guy that had five touchdowns against Alabama. Um, you know, Georgia's I think Georgia's gonna win the game. I think it's gonna take Hinden to out of the Heisman race, but eight points is just too much when you've seen what the offense can do. And they hey, they handled Kentucky last week. That was a trap game like from the start, and they beat them by like fifteen points, I think. Adam Adam's kind of rolling his eyes. He doesn't like the SEC bias. Which now, I, is fair. I think Kentucky's a bit overrated. I think you see a lot of SEC bias in the rankings. That being said, if Georgia does not cover the spread, I hope Tennessee wins. Okay, I just this this is a simple like this is a simple uh, like formula game for me. Georgia's defense is the reason that they are championship worthy. Tennessee's offense is the only thing keeping them in and winning a lot of these big games. Eight points for a defensive team is too many. Give me those eight points. With I feel that. I, for, for some reason, I feel like this is going to be a very volatile game. I think whoever wins. If it's a blowout yeah. for Georgia. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I just have a weird feeling this isn't going to be close, whoever wins this game. But, okay. Yeah. We'll move on to Alabama, who's number six in the – yes, they're number six in the country. Yep. Yeah, uh, which is yeah, crazy to with say. With a loss yeah. to Tennessee. Is a 13-point favorite to LSU, the number 10 team in the country. For only being four spots apart, you think that's a lot of points for a game, but uh, it's at LSU. This is a game I'm really cheering for a major upset um, to knock Bama out of playoff contention. I think two losses would be too too tall of a hill for them to climb back up. Um, that being said, I don't really trust LSU to do anything, but it is at home. See, both of the, both these last two games are complete toss ups in my mind. I'm not sure.
1: They're, They're hard, hard both hard. of them. Yeah, makes some um, good games.
0: My heart wants to to say LSU, but my head says Alabama. I'm going I'm going to do Alabama in the 13 points and I think we'll be on opposite sides of this one as well. Okay. No, we're we're on the same on this one. Uh, my heart and my my heart is taking the Tigers. My problem <laughs> is Brian Kelly being the coach of the Tigers takes my heart big out of the Tigers. Um, we're both on Saban. I, I guess I there, I there's only two things I hope. I hope either Alabama absolutely blows them out to a point where LSU fans are like, man, is, is Kelly the guy? Or I hope he wins the game. That's fair. So, I, I don't know. One of those things I hope happens, yeah. And to wrap up, of course, Ohio State uh, heading up to Chicago to take on Northwestern. This is a gross, gross a one. Lot of points, this is guys, a, gross a lot one of, of points, guys. A lot of points. 37.5 a half's the line. This is m- probably the worst team in the Big Ten. Re- I mean, record-wise, they're definitely... Uh, there, um, it's a well-coached team. Talent aside, this kind of just comes down to how much does Ohio State want to win by? How long do they want to keep the starters in? How good do the defensive backups do against this bad Northwestern team? Um, just because I I want to believe we can win something like fifty to ten, I'm gonna take Ohio State. I'm gonna say we we get it done. I think it's gonna be very close. And it'll probably be one touchdown to decide if this happens or doesn't happen. But I'm gonna lay the points and take Ohio State. Yeah, I, you're right on, Adam. I, I'm st- if I if it's real money, I'm definitely staying away. Um, for 37 and a half points, I mean that's that's nuts, right? If Northwestern gets to 10 points, it suddenly becomes extremely difficult to cover. Uh, but in my mind, this this has like. 45 to six like tattooed all over it. Something crazy where it's like Ohio state just covers, you know, kind of towards the end. It's all going to depend on the backups, like you said, but yeah, I, I just think this is a day like the defensive line is totally juiced right now. They're going to be fired up to definitely stack uh, some stats uh, and get to the quarterback a little bit on Saturday. So I guess, yeah, lay the points and Buckeyes in a crazy blowout. Well, that wraps up the corner, Ryan. And well, just a bad beat to mention. Adam did take Ohio State with a responsible wager, 15-and-a-half we last week. We know. And JT 2 Al wanted you to take to- me to Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse, and uh, he you know, the guys to. were too busy popping champagne bottles on that final touchdown Penn State drive to uh, to <laughs> let me uh, to have to let me have that small victory. You you, <laughs> you were dead for three and a half quarters. You were alive for a quarter of a quarter and then it, It's the kind to of bet of a, a better can't be mad about because I only saw the light for about 2%. So, exactly. Hey, that's why we that's so, why they play the games. Know, they, and that's why Vegas builds the shiny hotels that's right. right They're the, they're the one, they know what's going on. Adam for you, for the 2020 harvest season, hopefully these next few weeks we get it wrapped up and we get that thing parked. For Dad, for Alan, headed down to Tennessee today to try and get the signature of one great Eddie George uh, these next few days. We'll have an update on that next week. For the folks at home, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Silver Bullet, Bullet. Sight. Sigh. Sigh. I'm with you. Nothing will. It'll be the American League. What, what, what happened? What happened? Saturday. What happened? The fuck I done?